We want to thank you all for, for joining us this evening. And I especially want to thank our two distinguished uh, ambassadors who are here to present a particular perspective on the role of the United States in diplomacy with vis-a-vis -vis the Holy See. Um, Honorable James Nicholson is a, a good friend. He, <clears throat> like so many things here in Washington, comes from the heartland, um, not, 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 not kind of brought up in, in the Amtrak corridor. Um, he went uh, to West Point, was a distinguished cadet there, uh, graduated and uh, served in for eight years as an active duty paratrooper and ranger, and then 22 years in the Army Reserve, retired as, with the rank of colonel. Uh, serving in Vietnam, he earned the Bronze Star Medal, Combat Infantryman Badge, the Meritorious Service Medal, Republic of Vietnam Cross of Gallantry to Air Medals. Um, leaving the military, he went into business and uh, in, earned a master's degree from Columbia in New York, and a law degree from the University of Denver in, uh, out in Colorado, and then practiced law in Denver, especially in real estate, as his comrade here um, in, in arms today. Was municipal finance, zoning, founded uh, Nicholson Enterprise, a developer of master plan residential community. In 1987, he bought Renaissance Homes, became an award-winning builder of quality homes. And then his career moved back into public square. In 86, he was elected to be the Republican National Committeeman from Colorado, became the vice chairman of the RNC in 1993, and in January 1997 was the chairman of the Republican National Committee, where he served for four years overseeing the 2000 elections. Um, from then, he was chosen by uh, George W. Bush to be the ambassador to the Holy See, where he dis really served during a very interesting period of time. That was, as you recall, from 2001 to 2005. Um, that was precisely in the middle of that was when we, uh, the Iraq War uh, came on across the screen there, and he had to handle a rather difficult and delicate situation of negotiating sort of the position of the United States with with uh, Pope John Paul II. Uh, he was an advocate for the elevation of human dignity there in Rome, uh, giving special emphasis to human trafficking, religious freedom, starvation, biotech, food, HIV, AIDS, and international terrorism. He was knighted by Pope John Paul II in October of 2003 for his work representing the U.S. to the Vatican. And then he was brought back here to the, just down the street over at Veterans Affairs in 2005, where he served as Secretary of Veterans Affairs until uh, 2007, and has back now in private practice as a, as a, um, uh, with a law firm uh, just across the street, Lafayette, Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber. He's also been awarded several honorary doctorate degrees, was named a distinguished graduate from uh, his alma mater, West Point. Currently serves on the board of directors of the Federated Investors Fund, the Daniels Fund, the Horatio Alger Foundation, as a member of the advisory board of the Capgemini North America and as a fellow of the U.S. Chamber of Congress. Married to his lovely wife, Suzanne, here, and uh, father of three wonderful children. So we're glad to have you here, Jim, with us tonight, and, and his cohort here, Frank Rooney is ambassador, um, followed in uh, Jim's footsteps in Rome from 2000 to 2008. Um, studied locally, a graduate of Georgetown University and uh, Georgetown University Law Center. Has honorary degrees from Notre Dame and the University of Dallas. Member of the District of Columbia and Texas Bars. Um, his business is uh, the is the chairman of the Manhattan Construction Company, diversive construction group which is built among other things that the stadium that's houses um, a, a team not not named here in a loud voice in, in Washington DC Dallas Cowboys <clears throat> and and several other significant projects that uh, that uh, Manhattan construction has been involved with both of these men served in uh, the Vatican Embassy while it was still standing a little bit more independently from the U.S. Embassy in Rome. And one of the things we've asked them to come here to discuss tonight is precisely 
the role of the U.S. Embassy to the Holy See um, in the world, uh, given um, the role that the church has in the world, but also the significance that this change of venue is going to have in terms of that, not only in terms of the influence that, that um, it signifies the Holy See's having in, in, in the public square, but also the, the message it sends to the rest of the world vis-a-vis the United States' understanding of the importance of the Holy See in, as a, an insider, as a consultant, and as a voice in, in the public square. So I'd like to ask you, I'd actually let both of you speak a little bit about your own experience. Um, uh, this forum this evening came about really as a consequence of an article that, that uh, Jim Nicholson and Ray Flynn presented in the Wall Street Journal earlier this year, commenting on that that move of the uh, of the embassy, and perhaps you know, one open with that, Jim. Is it open? <clears throat> well, thank you, Father Arnie, and thank you fundamentally for all you're doing here at the Catholic Information Center. I'm one of your constituents. I try to be daily, and uh, we're very lucky to have a have a priest like this here, right here in the middle of Washington. And uh, delighted to be here with all of you and with my friend and colleague, uh, Francis Rooney. I, knowing I was going to be with him here tonight, I put on my favorite set of cufflinks, which <laughs> he gave me. Uh, well, he was the ambassador, and I mean that. I even have my own cufflinks that I, but I like his better. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I will mention three things. Uh, the first diplomatic reception that uh, my wife and I attended uh, after we were dispatched from Washington to Rome, uh, but before I was officially accredited because I hadn't presented my credentials, we uh, it was one of the endless uh, diplomatic receptions, the first one that we attended. I was having a nice conversation with a bright uh, archbishop, and uh, his name was Novak. He's from Poland. And we were just, you know, getting acquainted, and finally it was time to move on and visit with somebody else. And I said, sort of was leaving, I said, what do you do here in the Roman Curia, Your Excellency? And he looked at me with a little uh, sparkle in his eye, and he said, well, Ambassador, he said, actually, he said, I make saints. <laughs> and sure enough, he was the secretary of the Congregation for the Cause of Sainthood. So I said, well, how can I get on your good side? <laughs> And he said, well, you could start with a miracle. And, uh, <laughs> and the Canadian, I think it was a Canadian ambassador, was standing there listening to all this. And, and uh, he said, well, he already has done a miracle. He got George Bush elected president. He said, <laughs> I said no, that, that was no miracle. So then a few days later, 9-11 uh, occurred, uh, the 11th of September 2001. And two days after that, per schedule, uh, we did... Uh, proceed to Castel Gandolfo, the Pope's summer residence, uh, in train with a bunch of black Mercedes going up the hill. And uh, there the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, who was still ambulatory, came to the door of his library and they presented me. And, and I went in and it was, it was an important diplomatic encounter. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be. We each had a set of prepared boilerplate remarks that we were going to exchange with each other. But 9-11 had just happened 48 hours before. And so he was grieving as much as, as we were. And the uh, first thing we did was we said a Hail Mary for the victims together. And then he said something very diplomatically significant, and I think very intentionally, of course. He said, Ambassador Nicholson, we have to stop these people who are killing in the name of God. And uh, that was not a privileged uh, conversation, so that we were able to put that out there. And, and that helped us a great deal in putting our coalition together and our goodwill for that effort to go into Afghanistan to try to ferret out the base of those people who had just perpetrated those heinous acts 48 hours before. Uh, and... And, and significant that for a pope to say something like that, uh, because the way you stop them is you stop them from what they're doing, and you have to use arms and force to do that. 
Iraq, on the other hand, uh, was very different. And as time moved on in January of 2003, as President Bush was diligently trying to get a resolution out of the United Nations in support of our efforts to go into Iraq, uh, the Pope at the annual diplomatic reception looked squarely at me <laughs> among all the diplomats and said, no to war. Uh, and so he put his cudgel down squarely uh, that he was against this. And uh, he saw that very differently. Uh, and that uh, prompted the biggest diplomatic challenge I had, as Father Arne uh, mentioned. And the you know, the position of the Pope in a situation like that is great relevance. He does have considerable moral authority uh, throughout the world. And there, too, we were trying to build uh, a base of, of support to go into Iraq. You can decide now whether you like it or not, or did then. But it was President Bush's uh, belief that that was necessary to, to fulfill the, the most prime tenet of his oath, which is to protect the American people. And uh, he had had weapons of mass destruction. He used them on his own people. He gassed 5,000 Kurds in northern Iraq in one day. Uh, so uh, he, you know, decided that that was what we should do. The Pope, on the other hand, never said that it was immoral for us to go into Iraq. After, in March, we did go into Iraq. And then it really intensified, but Pope John Paul II never uh, once said it was immoral. Uh, he really couldn't because it would be violative of the doctrine, the catechism of the church. But one of his uh, cardinals, then Archbishop uh, Martino, routinely said it was immoral. In fact, one day at a press conference, uh, he became a very popular figure of the press because he gave these interviews, he's very controversial, very anti-U.S., and said, a reporter said, is there any circumstance, albeit hypothetical, by which it would be moral for the United States to go into Iraq? And he said, absolutely not, which means that he either was totally neglectful of the, of the doctrine or he didn't know it. But what it, what, it, what it is, is, the doctrine, the just war doctrine in a thumbnail, is it, essentially it's up to the prudential judgment of the person responsible for the common good. And in our case, that's the President of the United States. And you, don't, you, can, you can disagree with that. He, President Bush, used to call me because he was so respectful of the Pope and, and knew the relevance of the Pope's view on this and asked if there was, if I couldn't, he used to call me Jimmy all the time. He'd say, Jimmy, can you get the Pope, can you get the Pope lined up on this? And uh, try as I would and brought Michael Novak and George Weigel over there. And we had some huge public forum in Rome. We had overflow crowds, six, seven hundred people in some of these places in discussing the subject of Iraq. But, but the president understood that the, the, the pope is a man of peace. And when peace is still an option, he is always for that option. And uh, as I'm sure we'll get into this momentarily, uh, the Vatican's position on the Middle East right now continues to be one of, of a, uh, to me, almost delusional desire for a multilateral uh, effort and resolution out of the United Nations, which we'll never get out of the Security Council. But, uh, but that, you know, that's where they, they start. And that's, I think that's very understandable. And, and, you know, things can always happen. And prayer can be fulfilled and so forth. And shooting could be avoided. It's, it's the last resort. It's a failure of mankind. And President Bush used to concede that and know that as well. But thought that this was... Uh, that that was the case, and it had to, had to happen. So uh, that was a very intense uh, diplomatic experience uh, for me, and I learned a great deal about uh, the justification of war. And I went to West Point for four years and never had a day of that at West Point. But they now teach it at West Point. I'm happy to say. So I'll stop there for now. My friend Francis. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Father Arnie. It's a real honor and pleasure to get to be here again, and I appreciate it. 
And it's always great to be with uh, Secretary and Ambassador Nicholson. And it was <coughs> great fun to follow him in Rome because he had left a reputation for uh, uh, clear speaking, strong diplomatic engagement, and it really turned the, turned the mission up a notch, quite frankly. And it's pretty clear that you definitely elevated the stature of the mission and the, the, uh, what was expected and what could be accomplished by the mission relative to some preceding ambassadors. And, and we try to keep up our, our effort to follow the many good things that you started, both in trafficking and in, in keeping up the heat on the diplomatic corps about Iraq and about President Bush. And uh, I might, rather than get, I might try, try to draw a few threads together going from where Ambassador Nicholson stopped because it shows you how the Holy See diplomacy works a little bit. The, uh, when I got there, shortly after uh, Ambassador Nicholson becomes Secretary of the VA, gone home, um, we had a new pope. So it was a chance to kind of institutionalize the relationship, to go from the personal relationship that started with Ronald Reagan and John Paul to go to a change of government, if you will. And when I went to meet with the pope, I had to bring up Iraq and wasn't super looking forward to it. Secretary Rice said, bring it up right away, get it over with. And um, I did. And the pope says, let's not talk about Iraq. Iraq is old news. Basically saying in diplomatic speak, I'm a new pope. We disagreed. It's over, and we're ready to work constructively to build peace and bring stability to the people of Iraq. That's a direct quote. And so I, th I thought that was really good news. And, and he lived up to his word. And he took the, the um, language that Pope John Paul had used against radical Islam to a whole new level, as many of you may recommend, or re remember, culminating with his Regensburg speech in September of 2006, which is still the most uh, clear uh, philosophical critique of, of the evil of radical Islam and the, the hostage that the radicalized factions are doing to Muslims everywhere as well as Christians and, and God-fearing people in the world. And as George Weigel said, it's the most important papal pronouncement since John Paul's 1995 UN address about human rights. And so they've continued that thread. And now comes Pope Francis. He's been quiet on that subject so far. He's spoken more about social justice. But last week on the way back from Korea, he brought up the concept that uh, uh, Secretary Nicholson mentioned of the just war. And, and I think it's really great to see the world responding to Pope Francis's deployment of the Holy See's soft power voice because Secretary Kerry jumped right on that and started to work on building the community of nations. One of the, the, uh, the Holy See's beefs with, with, Af with Iraq too was not enough nations, in their opinion, were signed on to the fight. Not without the efforts of many people trying, by the way. But, uh, so they're starting at it from a different point of view now, and, and maybe they'll at least get it to the point where it's like Iraq 1 or Afghanistan, uh, where, where the Holy See doesn't voice such strident opposition. Because I think what the Pope has basically said, the same thing Pope Benedict said, that killing in the name of religion's got to stop, and that the world's not going to go back to the 11th century, so the radical sects need to come into to our world. And somehow or another, uh, we need to call a moderate Islam to help do that. Just last week, uh, uh, King Abdullah in Saudi Arabia called on the uh, clerics of Saudi Arabia to speak up against ISIL and the radical Islamists. That's a huge game changer because, as Secretary Nicholson would probably say, too, uh, they're used to lying by the log and letting us do all their heavy lifting for them. And uh, Abdulaziz, as the head cleric in Saudi Arabia, uh, came out and specifically attacked ISIL last week in Saudi Arabia. So maybe there's some good things coming. But it's a, what I'd like to make the point is it's a continual thread of, of, of papal discourse focused and centered around their fundamental principles of the natural rights of man and religious freedom that Secretary Nicholson encountered, that, that we encountered, that, that uh, Ambassador Flynn encountered in the Population Conference back in 94. That this is a consistent diplomacy and uh, culminating here with Pope Francis finding his voice in, in this, this fray. Um, there are many other things that going on with the Holy See in their diplomacy right now. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get to talk a little bit about the, the embassy co-location that, that uh, Secretary Nicholson and I both and, and uh, Mayor Flynn tried to speak up on last November and December. Uh, and the fact that that is a, a symptom of, a, of the sort of secularism, which Pope Francis calls materialism, which has affected uh, the, Western, the Western world in these days. And, and that the Holy See is maybe the only voice in the world that can speak out very clearly against. And, and I think that, that gives their soft power a particular need in the world of diplomacy today. And we saw that probably talk a little about the Obama visit, which is an interesting uh, opportunity to see how the, the Holy See operates. I might mention one last thing. Is, is, is Just as they use Cardinal Martino to speak up, to say some things that some people wanted said that weren't so good necessarily to say, but they wanted said, uh, 
Here lately, you saw him use Cardinal Burke to do the same thing, but it happened to be on our side. It was Cardinal Burke speaking up against Obama secularism the day before Obama was going to come see the Pope. So it's a classic vignette of the kind of medieval diplomacy the Holy See deploys better than anybody. Thank you. Actually, you know, just to follow up a little bit on that, the official photos and reports released by the Vatican after President Obama's revisit with Pope Francis were sharp contrast for those released by the administration. What, what, you say anything about that? I don't, I don't, Put a gun to you want to go ahead? <laughs> Duh. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, you know, Obama had a great deal to gain by seeing if he could create good optics uh, with the Holy Father. I mean, the, the Pope, I think, has become maybe the most ascendant person in, in the world. And uh, it's won the respect and interest of, of people of all stripes throughout the world and and, and uh, increased his, his relevance. I mean, when I was getting ready to be posted, uh, I came across something, uh, sort of a, a, a predicate of the purpose of the U.S. State Department, which was to assist our country in enhancing uh, human dignity. And it didn't say enhancing human dignity in Washington or Colorado or, you know, Virginia. It was just enhancing human dignity. And uh, it, I think our country really has, has stood for that. And it makes you very proud and empowered, really, when you go off to be an, an ambassador of this, this great country. Because that's really what your country is about. We're, we're not and never have been a colonial power. Uh, whenever we've had conflicts uh, on foreign soil, the only thing we've ever asked them for was a little plot to bury uh, those that made the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, so this, this, is, this is a wonderful country that stands for the right things. And so we have a natural uh, alignment in a transcendent way uh, with with this man who's in communion with 1.2 billion Catholics, and who's who's the you know the, the head of that sovereign state, the Holy See, and is also the head of that of, of that church, and uh, he, I think has just uh, become more relevant, uh, and uh, so to you know pivoting to this this matter of moving that, that physical structure that we have over there, uh, which is freestanding, it's, it's known in the city of Rome, it's, uh, it's on, on one of the great Roman hills looking across the valley at, at the Palatine uh, with the Circus Maximus in between, and uh, to, to move that and, and move it into an annex of a building that is it's named after former U.S. ambassador to the Republic of Italy, who's a very good friend of ours and a wonderful guy, but it's, uh, it is a downgrade in, in, the, in the importance, uh, in fact, and certainly in perception of, of, of our view of the importance of this head of state. And uh, so that's uh, the reason we have resisted it. It, it appears to be a fiat uh, accompli. But the work hasn't physically started. I, I brought myself current on that today, uh, although they have architectural plans and so forth. So I think it's a, it's a big mistake uh, for very important reasons, because I think it, 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 it's, a, it's a bad reflection of our country's views of the importance and the relevance of, of, of the Holy See and that, uh, that great a commonality of purpose that we've had about the, about trying to elevate the dignity of people in the world, and that and that is exactly what the Holy See is all about. I mean, they're, they you can add they're also interested in the, you know in the sanctity of the souls of, of people and uh, with whom they're in communion and and others, but. Uh, the humanitarian work that we do together uh, throughout the world is uh, extremely noteworthy, and uh, I, th I think it's a it's a grave mistake uh, to be doing that. 
Ambassador Rooney, I mean, you have a book on the history of Vatican uh, relations with with uh, of the United States, and and it would seem that you know precisely in the late '90s, with that when Congress made that statement that the you know, Department of State would I don't remember the exact you know, what is the phrase would support religious freedom in, in the world that 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 one would think that that would speak to a, a greater role of, of at least dialogue with with the uh, with as, 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 as Nicholson was saying of dialogue with with that institution in the world that is basically if any supporting this whole idea of religious freedom um, university well well as Jim mentioned you know <laughs> we are natural allies we're the only country that's founded on the natural rights of man not some state statist grant and we are the only country or the first country to enshrine religious freedom in our in our organizing documents so you would think that we would and that's one of the premises of the book but for a variety of reasons over the years, anti-Catholic prejudice, like right here in Maryland, interestingly enough, uh, it, it didn't take long, about 80 years, for mm -hmm. the Catholics to lose the right to vote in Maryland, it having been founded as a Catholic colony uh, in the beginning. And then, of course, the Holy See's historic monarchism, and we fought wars to get rid of monarchies, and that didn't sit so well. And but for a variety of reasons, and some, and you go to the, but you you've seen the maturation of of, of uh, tolerance of Catholics after the Kennedy election, and and all the great things that the Holy See and the United States have been able to accomplish together. So if I might go forward to, to in that thread with the Obama visit, okay? Mm -hmm. Because for whatever reason, he made it finally made a state trip, and and I think we we many people, Secretary can comment, and he probably feels the same way. I I will we we I feel he wanted to exploit. With the Pope's comments on social justice for his own heinous ends, okay? Well, that's okay. It's, it, there's an analogy there to when Pius VII went to uh, crown Napoleon, and he knew Napoleon was going to beat him up and maltreat him, and he did in fact, and he imprisoned his number two guy, Cardinal Baca, and all that. But the Pope knew that he was speaking to the world, not Napoleon, and he was particularly speaking to the people of France, and he won. And the people of France were so thankful to have the Pope there, they ignored Napoleon to the point where Napoleon had to sign a treaty with, with the Holy See shortly thereafter. So now, Obama goes over there, and two interesting things happened the day before the visit. One, Cardinal Burke came out and delivered the Holy See's point of view on the secular Obama administration, as only Cardinal Burke could do. And it was, it was the all-out frontal assault. He didn't pull any punches. The other thing is, the Obama administration, and it's what I would say characteristic secularism and spin, issued the press release explaining what the meeting had been about before the meeting happened, including pictures. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the Holy See knew what they were doing. They knew what the Holy See is doing. So the Pope, I thought, did a really good job of, of not being manipulated by the spin doctors. And that gets into your body language in the pictures. The, the Obama ones are by smiling, and the Pope, the official Observatory Romano, picture is much more austere. And, and I think at the end of the day, the, the trip was a real victory for the Holy See. The president came, made a state visit. Uh, Secretary Kerry, by the way, has picked up the ball. He does have some interest in the Holy See personally. He's a Catholic. I see Mass a lot at Holy Trinity. And I gave him some talking points before he went over in November. And he was keenly interested, especially in what the Holy See could do in Latin America, which is something I ended up working a lot on in my time. It's, it's all in the book. So very interesting to see these two different views of this important visit. And I think we're going to see, as time goes on, the Pope's going to get a lot more of that visit than Obama got. You know, Pope Francis is rumored to be making a stop in Washington next year as he comes to Philadelphia for the Congress of the World Meeting of Families um, and possibly go to the United Nations in New York. What do you see as being possible uh, good outcomes for those visits in terms of um, I suppose the relationship between the United States and, 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 and the Holy See, but also in terms of the message that the Holy Father could deliver here. I mean, some people think it would be great to have the Holy Father here because they feel that he doesn't have a great familiarity with, with North America, with the United States. Um, but at the same time, obviously, his prestige, as you mentioned, I mean, on the world stage, could enable him to speak here <coughs> very effectively if I suppose he were given the you know the proper kind of introduction and and, 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 and and preparation really as to what would be helpful to Catholics in this country and to the country as a whole. It seems like he could be speaking not just to Catholics. 
Well, I think it would be wonderful, and it would be—I think—be very good uh, for the church. It'd be very good for the Holy See, uh, the Pope, and for our country. Uh, you know, uh, Pope Francis gives different people heartburn, you know, depending <laughs> where that where they are. And uh, but if you if you read what he says carefully, I think from the beginning to the end, he really. He really follows the Gospels. Uh, he gives people an opportunity to extract things out of that uh, from the continuum, and you know makes good sound bites, and it, and it makes a lot of different people feel good generally, uh, which is probably okay too. But he, I think he's a very uh, orthodox person. Now, I, I'm in the business world. I'm in a law firm that represents a lot of businesses. We represent the two biggest private equity firms in the world. And uh, some of those things that he said about, you know, sounded derogatory about tri trickle-down economics and so forth, uh, have given them pause. And so actually just the week before last, I had a meeting up in New York with uh, my old friend Cardinal Dolan, who's sort of taken on the role of uh, being the the translator of the Pope in some ways in this country, and he made a very good point. He said, you have to look at where the guy came from. He grew up in a poor family in Argentina. Uh, then he took a vow of poverty and then uh, lived that, and, and then when he ascended in the hierarchy of the church in Ireland, he chose to live in the barrio, and, and he'd seen the exploitation of people. Uh, uh, all his life, really. So he 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 has that predilection that you know was compounded by his uh, his understanding, his commitment to the gospels, to Christ's message about taking care of the poor and the children and the prisoners. So it's very consistent. But uh, there's really no evidence that that he 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 disses uh, free markets or capitalism. Uh, I, I, you know, I think he he probably be in this side where you could describe him as not being real materialistic, uh, and that and people need to share uh, what they've been able to achieve by these systems. But uh, so I and that that would I think be an attenuated uh, look also when he comes here, and there's probably another opportunity to uh, clarify uh, some of that. But he has a he has a great motivating. Uh, gift, I think, and, and I'm as I said in this law firm, and we have a lot of people of a lot of different religions in there, and they routinely come up to me and uh, talk about the the Pope in a very positive way, and, and also, you know, very interested in him. So he's a he's a captivating person in the world silhouette, and I think for a lot of for great positive purposes, and, and that, that trip would get a lot of attention and I think be another great megaphone for his his messages, which I think are fundamentally right. I mean, he, he really can't be boxed in. I think that's, that's it's a little bit difficult to get in. And he even recognizes he's not a systematic thinker or writer, so that even at Evangelii Gaudium, you find that those, those remarks, which were probably improperly translated as trickle-down economics, are balanced when he speaks about the importance of creating job opportunities or opportunities for people later on in that, so. Yeah, if you go back and look at what he said, like mm -hmm. Secretary Nichols said and what you're saying about the, the encyclicals, it's Leo Thirteenth all over again. He's not changing Catholic social teaching. He's just, some of what he said was from the lens of an Argentinian from a corrupt government with no safety net and, and was extracted in, in a fairly narrow way. But, uh, you know, what, what's wrong with saying that the uh, object of capitalism is to improve human condition, not just make money. Money is a means and not an end. I mean, I, can't can't argue with that. So if he comes here and speaks at the UN, it will be one more in a, in a history of many UN addresses by by popes that have been game changers in terms of the deployment of the Holy See soft power. And nobody can speak up like these guys because of the the non-political nature, the non-hegemonic situation of the Holy See that gives them this platform of of integrity and honesty. And they they're, they've got to be taken seriously by thinking people. And so we need him to use that voice as he's been speaking up a little more. Do you think that this, for example, the United Nations earlier this year was chiding the, the, the 
the Vatican basically to change its position on a number of fundamental doctrines, for example, uh, adoption, family, sexuality, marriage, and really <coughs> abortion. Uh, abortion. <coughs> so but this is the same subset of the UN, UN Human Rights Commission that has Mobutu and Chavez as members. Mm -hmm or had Chavez. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, how, how could, <clears throat> I mean, I, I suppose that precisely the, 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 the um, American uh, embassy, the U.S. embassy into the Holy See, is supposed to be a vehicle for trying to communicate to the Holy Father some of the Things that, that would be helpful you know, in, in this in, in, in this trip, whether it be just to Philadelphia or to the United Nations and to Washington. Well, and you know the third-ranking <coughs> person in the Secretary of State's mm -hmm. a, an American from Oklahoma, mm -hmm. so he'll probably know every bit as much as Ambassador Hackett or what the, what the Pope needs to, to know. But uh, I would say the the more heinous the venue, the more effective the, the, the soft power. And the UN being a, a, a consummate principalist hostage-taking by small authoritarian countries is the perfect opportunity for him to, to really speak like Pius, like Pius VII and, and John Paul mm -hmm. Benedict. Uh, you know, in that article, a Wall Street article with Ray Flynn, um, Secretary Nicholson, you said that the ambassador we see under President Flynn, <coughs> who wrote that with you, you called the decision to move the embassy penny-wise and pound-foolish. Can you expand on that? I mean, I think you've already touched on that a well, little bit. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the rationale that the State Department gives for it is that they can save money. And, uh, and then they went on to add that the, uh, the building is, is ugly, slab-sided, and unprepossessing. <laughs> As if that were relevant uh, to anything about uh, its function. As I've said, it, it, it is not one of Rome's most beautiful buildings, uh, but it is in a beautiful location, and the view from inside it looking out is as good as any. There isn't really looking right across the, the Circus Maximus up at the Palatine. And the, the other specious rationale has been that, it, that it's the new location, which downtown Rome right off the Via Veneto is actually closer, by the way, the the eagle flies than, uh, than the current location. That might be true by one or two tenths of a mile. So they're really, they're really groveling for some kind of substantive purpose. Another thing they're masking is that, that uh, it's uh, probably easier to secure inside this consolidated compound of the, of the Embassy to the Republic of Italy with the Embassy to the Holy See. Uh, I, I don't think that's... Uh, Valid. I think it, this building and its offsets from the streets is about equal distance as, as the other. A truck, two and a half ton truck with ammonium nitrate and a detonator could do both. RPG, take them out. And so, so then you ask yourself, well, what is it then? If those are those are not valid reasons, and and that's a good question. And I, I just think it's it's some kind of a residual antagonism uh, over there at the State Department about this this post, which has only existed since 1984. 1984. And, uh, you know, it was a real lift for President Reagan to finally get it done then. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for John Paul II and what was going on in the, in, in, in the Soviet sphere and, and his recognition of how helpful this guy was being to us when he used, he used to say in his own words to some people in the evening, he said, that fella in Rome is really adding value. And, you know, and we need to have an ambassador over there. And, uh, and that's more true today probably than ever. And so to, to, to go through this, uh, this penny-ante exercise of putting this in, in a little in an annex building in this big compound that we have to the Republic of Italy, which I would challenge most of you in here to tell me who the Prime Minister of Italy is tonight, uh, but everybody in the world knows who the Pope That's is. That's a good metaphor. Just about. And, uh, and so it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a mistake. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would add that um, the, um, the, the State Department is a very secular place. And, and I would hope that 
all you young people, that some of you will go into the foreign service because you're obviously principled Catholic and Christian people if you're here. And we need every one of them we can get. There's a handful of really outspoken Catholics in the State Department. And, 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 and many people would like to, to do away with this mission just, just because of their uh, uh, personal views. And uh, this, this co-location began uh, before I got there. In fact, Jim tipped me off to it, and I was ready for it, and I talked to the president about it in the Oval Office. I said, first thing I get over there, they're going to bring this up, and I want to call Carl, and I want you to send the cavalry in to back me up, and we'll knock this thing right out. And we extended the leases as long as we could. Mm -hmm. And there's some laws about how far the government can commit itself. And that's why it's coming back up now. Clockwork. It's coming back up as soon as the secular State Department could do it. And um, it's really unfortunate, you know, because if you go back, one thing I will research in the book is, when Roosevelt sent Myron Taylor to be his personal representative, Sumner Wells, the Secretary of State, wanted to raise it to an ambassador level because he realized the value of the Holy See's voice. Now, when Reagan, as Secretary Nicholson said, when Reagan did it, the State Department was moderately opposed, but they weren't going to stick their head up too much. But So we, it's yeah. the duty of all citizens to, to, to care, to speak up for this mission. There, there is this residual, I think, of, uh, of what used to be uh, deeply held feelings in the Congress is that we shouldn't have diplomatic relations with a church. And that was the, the you know, the red herring put out there, the, the many attempts that were made, as Ambassador Rooney said, to, to get an ambassador over there. And, uh, you know, President Truman tried very hard to get Mark Clark confirmed as ambassador. He was a liberator of Italy. And he couldn't get it done in the Senate for, for that, that reason, and especially some of the, the Southern senators held that feeling very strongly. This was going to be a terrible precedent. We're going to have a, we're going to have diplomatic relations with the church, and it's going to be the Catholic Church of all things. Yeah. And in truth, in fact, the mission has really very little to do with the church per se. We have a mission there to accomplish things that, that further U.S. interests, like any other secular mission. It's just that the metaphors and the words and the ceremonies all take place revolving around the church. And, and as Secretary Nicholson said, some of the fundamental principles that we push are human rights, human dignity, and, and religious freedom related, as opposed to you know trying to sell more airplanes or farm products or something like that. But as far as the work you do, it's it's uh, strictly pursuing American interests. So when people say that and they say, why do we have a relationship with the church? I hope you all will be able to defend the mission and, and realize that they have a sovereignty that goes back to Charlemagne that has really little to do with theology and a lot to do with their ability to propagate important values in the world. And uh, and they're, they're a tremendous partner of ours, and this, this continues on happily. Uh, for the administration of our uh, our technology, our medical resources, our aid. Uh, an example: When I was there, there's a there's a great NGO over there called the Community of San Egidio. Uh, they now have an office here in Washington. As some of you no doubt know. Uh, but we did a, a test in Mozambique with uh, with five thousand women who were pregnant. We got them to agree to it and uh, developed a regime and uh, and used uh, uh, this anti-retroviral uh, regime of uh, against AIDS, and 98 percent of them, uh, in 98 percent of the cases, the, the the child in the womb did not get the disease that the mother had because of this intervention, and they followed the procedures. We provided all of the resources to do that in San Angidio, an arm, you know, an NGO, the church, uh, administered it. And that, and that goes on all over the world, uh, with our, you know, with our missions and our missionaries, and we, the U.S., are providing most, I'd say, a majority of the resources in, in the fights against malaria, AIDS. Uh, it's, it's our resources, and the church is, is, is the biggest single administrator of that in the world. So we're, we're really a natural partner for this this cause of, of human dignity and the human condition. Even more so, you'd say, probably than, than the United Nations doing that, which is <laughs> antithetical. Well, Mobutu is a well-known advocate for human rights. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just occurs to me that, you know, separating the, you know, the, the two missions, the, the United States Embassy to, to Italy and the United States Embassy the Holy See, you know, might serve the purpose actually also that if, if one or the other was going to be bombed by by terrorists, it might be the the embassy to Italy rather than one by the, to the Holy See. 
Well, I don't know. You know, the uh, when we were going over there, we were doing the uh, ambassador charm school that the Nicholsons did before, where you go and you go through all these procedures about how to be an ambassador or stay within the State Department's rules. And they talked about the threat matrix for the Holy See mission. And we were there with a guy that's going to Netherlands and uh, Tanzania and Luxembourg and and a couple others. And I thought, well, they're not going to have any care about security in the Holy See. You've got to go to the Netherlands where the Muslims are about to take the country over. Turned out they said the Holy See mission is one of the top five because of that very confluence of Catholic leadership and U.S. leadership at the same time. Mm -hmm. You almost get a twofer if you take out the ambassador of the Holy See. As such, we had pretty high-level security. Well, thank you so fact, much. A, a funny anecdote. It just <coughs> <laughs> we did go to that charm school, and uh, and they uh, we had a lot of security uh, in Italy, but we, we uh, had the the spouses went out to the CIA one day while we were having some other training, and uh, and they one of the women had the temerity to ask the CIA because there was a real diminishment of focus of security on the on the spouse and it was it was all on the principal. One of them said, Well, you know, why is that? We have to get out, you know, our side of the car in high heels and in the wind, nobody's opening the door for us or anything else. <laughs> and the guy said he said, We've never had a spouse kidnapped yet. <laughs> and she said, well, there's always a first time. You know, if I might make a comment about that, this is kind of a funny thing. The, the, the only the ambassador can ride in the car. And, and the wife can only go, or the kids can only go if the ambassador's in the car. Well, there were times where, like, you know, they'd have to go back to the house to get some more water, or they'd have to go back to the house to get uh, papers that I left or something. So the papers and the water could ride the car, but not Kathleen. Mm -hmm. So the kids all thought that was great fun. Yeah. Good. Well, I'd like to thank both of you for uh, for presenting this. We're going to open the floor to for Q and A, but uh, let's thank for them first of all. Thank you, thank you Father. We have a mic back here. Um, I'm just wondering why they wouldn't annex the Italian embassy to the Vatican embassy because Pope John Paul II was the one who played the central role in ending the Cold War. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, and one thing I was going to say is I, I don't think you have to be apologetic about, you know, why the Vatican is so huge. I mean, that, that ex precise example, Reagan's secret war by the Andersons, I mean, all the papers, the, the documents that they went through, I mean, Pope John Paul II was the key player working with Reagan. Well, it, it goes further than that. Like, like I went through in the book, it goes, it goes back to Myron Taylor of World War II and using the diplomatic pouch to, to leverage the, the, uh, Keep diplomats in, in there during the war. Goes to the the, the secret di diplomacy during the time of Khrushchev and Kennedy, and 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 uh, and even Truman. You know, trying to deploy the the church to the uh, and unite uh, all Christian denominations to fight communism. The only ones that would stand up was the Catholic Church. And really, you want to read a great book. I touched on it in my book, but read Will Imboden's book about the the uh, the, the effort of Truman to get Christians to attack post-communism after World War II. And here you got this Baptist Truman relying on the Holy See as the leading edge of the spear because of the cognitive dissidents of all the Protestant sects. So, as Secretary Nicholson said, who knows who's the president of Italy right now? Or even better, who knows who it'll be in a year? It could be any number of people. <laughs> but everybody knows who the Pope is. Your school. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid it is, at least for now. I, I, uh, there was a pretty uh, energized congressman named Fortenberry from Nebraska mm -hmm. during the summer recess went over there and I uh, talked to him before he went, tried to brief him and so forth, and he went over and, uh, and the word I got today is that th they've made some changes in the entryway and, and so forth, but it, they're, they're the minimus. They're going to beef up the front door and put a wall around the back of it. I think so. That's all yeah. we can get. Yeah. And uh, so it, 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 right now it appears, uh, you know, to be an inevitability, uh, and it's it's a big mistake. Uh, I mean, you put your finger on it. I, I used to ask the same rhetorical question: Why doesn't? Why don't they bring? Uh, 
course, it's practically not possible because our embassy building over there is much smaller. But uh, the, the role, the importance, and relevance in the world. I mean, Italy and they're great allies of ours, but they have about 50 million people. Their uh, their military budget is a NATO ally. It's about 1.2 percent of their GDP, and most of that goes to retirement pensions. Uh, so. You know, where's, where's, where's the where? And, uh, but, uh, it's, I think Ambassador Rooney put his finger on it. It's just, it's, it's a secularism. It's, it's right now, it's, it seems inexorable. The, the, um, all is not lost. It's not woe to us here, okay? Let's look, look at the way the Holy See does things. They, they think in terms of thousands of years. And that's what we have to think of as Christians and Catholics, too. We can't, we can't take our beatings and go away. We have to stay on the field and fight back. And, and this mission, uh, lacking a lot of business and consular activities, really does best when the president cares about it. And it's an important objective of his personal administrative priorities to leverage the Holy See's soft power voice. So as Secretary Nicholson said, he's talking to Bush all the time. I talked to President Bush, I guarantee you, more than any other of the secular ambassadors I knew when I was over there. And uh, and because it was important to him what the Holy See would say. Yeah. So what we got to do, and I'm not electioneering here, I'm not saying Democrat or Republican or independent or uh, libertarian or whatever, but whoever we get in office in the future, we need someone that is that is less secular and more open to leveraging the Holy See's soft power voice. Clinton did it a lot more than Obama. It's not just a Democrat-Republican issue. It's a kind of your view of the world, if you will. Because Clinton went to Georgetown. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesuits, right? This one? Yes. All right, thank you both for coming. Um, I've actually had the opportunity to spend some time at the UN and had many interactions with the Holy See. And um, it's actually interesting because I've noticed a uh, a growing tension between the U.S. and the Holy See because of very specific policy choices, you know, be it the contraception issue with the Global South or, you know, a number of, of things that the Obama administration is currently pursuing. How do you see that both affecting the U.S. influence around the world and the Holy See's influence globally? Because I see, because one of the things that really caught me by surprise was at any issue, at any juncture where the U.S. and the Holy See had a difference in point of view, the only states that were backing the Vatican's position were states like Qatar, the Middle Eastern countries that are still very much conservative. Meanwhile, the traditionally Catholic countries were fall in line with the U.S. So how do you see that playing out, not only in the next you know, six months to a year or two years, but you know, further down the line? Well, I, I, the, uh, the Holy See has... Uh, to me, a, a, a exaggerated or sort of misplaced uh, confidence uh, in in the United Nations. I mean, even though they, they continually I, they get bashed and being bashed right now, as Father Arnie already said, for uh, their views about abortion and family planning. Uh, but it's. It, it masks, I think, somewhat this this uh, just war dilemma. And if you can, if there's if there's a consensus of multilateralism, that somehow seems to uh, mitigate uh, any you know sort of innate opposition to it. If you've got enough people and you could get a resolution of this world body, that that would be. A, but it's premature to use their uh, their term, I guess, to, to maybe you know do something. And uh, I think it's it's I, th I think it's unfortunate, but it continues. And I had a conversation with somebody in Rome today, a well placed person, in anticipation of our discussion tonight. And that is that is where they are right now about ISIS and so forth. Is we we have to get a resolution out of, that, out of the United Nations. It's not going to happen. I mean, the Soviet Russia is not going to go for it. You know, your your perception of the chill is is spot on, and the unfortunate consequence of the way the administration has not dealt with the Holy See, even though you know you can have disagreements here and still have a lot of agreements. I mean, no matter how much they disagree with Iraq, you had all kinds of ongoing things going, as did I, 
with the Holy See. The Obama guys don't seem to want to do anything. And, and as a result, uh, it's a lost opportunity. I mean, where the Pope's been speaking up against Syria ever since he became Pope. He said some really important things about citizenship in the Middle East, about cultural, uh, uh, cultural broadening and tolerance and, and engaging moderate imams and Muslim clerics. And where's the administration? They're not doing anything. I mean, Bush was all over that. Always, we were always holding interfaith dialogues and, and things like that to, to, to leverage these, these comments. And I think it's a lost opportunity for the United States to, to deploy the, the foreign policy that's based on those principles that Secretary Nicholson mentioned and not just ba based on Westphalian sovereignty, if you will. If I could, I would like to pay tribute to both of you. I have known both of you in the work you've done, and you were extraordinary representatives, not just for the American government, but for the American people. And all of us owe you personally a, a debt of gratitude for what you did to represent us. My question is from a different perspective. As one who had the privilege of serving one of the Vatican's ambassadors who was posted to the nunciature here in Washington, D.C., I'd like to ask what your thoughts were in terms of relating to the other members of the diplomatic corps, the opportunities that you had uh, as ambassadors to the Holy See that were singular, that you were, neat, that you were unique, that you wouldn't have had had you been ambassador to the court of St. James, for example, or another country. I, I can tell you one, since it involves Secretary Nicholson. He, he, uh, He's too modest to say it, but he virtually created the trafficking in persons program for the mission. Jim did that, and Suzanne probably thought it up. But the, the fact of the matter is, my job when I got over there was to try to leverage it and expand it every possible way. And we made that front burner issue number one. Every time when the Bushes came, uh, Mr. B when President Bush came by himself, the whole bit. And, and so what I got to do with those other ambassadors was use the ambassadorial gatherings and use the convening power of the House to bring Sister Eugenie over and let him talk to him and explain that right there in their country there's X numbers of traffickers and all these things that only Sister Eugenia could do, you know. And that was kind of really rewarding to get to do that, but the credit goes to Jim. He started the whole thing. We wouldn't have had a trafficking program if you hadn't have done it. Well, it, you know, that's a, a good question. It, uh, it is, it, the diplomatic corps accredited to the Holy See is one of the oldest uh, in the world, and it has it has great tradition and and uh, history of great great value. And as as diplomacy and missions are, there there are a lot about sharing information. I mean, the almost all the Middle Eastern countries uh, are there. Mm -hmm. I'd say they, I think they have diplomatic relations with the 175 countries. Sec second largest in the world. Yeah, and a majority of them are not, you know, uh, the ambassadors are not Catholic. Uh, and somebody asked the Saudi ambassador once, uh, you know, why, uh, why are you here? What do you? And he said, because we're afraid we'll miss something. <laughs> and uh, so those those relationships are uh, they're often enjoyable. They're always interesting, and uh, and very often very helpful. To, to us, to the country, which is why we're there, to serve the United States. And uh, I was visiting with my wife this morning about this, you know, and uh, she reminded me of a dinner uh, that we attended over at the French ambassador's residence, which is one of the most beautiful in Rome. And uh, when we were going through this Iraq imbroglio, the there was a lot of tension, and you may recall the French were really resisting our efforts to get a resolution out of the UN. And uh, and having had a very close relationship with the French ambassador, it, it it got frayed to say the least. But he was invited us to a dinner, and Suzanne was sitting next to the DC, the deputy chief of mission, who leaned over and whispered to her, and she said, saying, uh, "You know, Ambassadorice Nicholson." Uh, we are really a nice country. <laughs> Saying that about France, feeling compelled to say that, you know, this is really, really funny. But, uh, but these these personal relationships that people develop in these environments of, uh, you know, and, and being posted to different places are very important, and that's why 
the State Department and our diplomats, uh, and two-thirds of our diplomats are professional foreign service officers. The other third are people like us who are executive appointees. Uh, and there are pros and cons. As executive appointees, we have much more independence to do things and to initiate things, to speak our mind than do the professionals because they're, they're in an organization that has a chain of command and, uh, and they have a career to think about. We, we didn't have to worry about that. But, uh, but most of them are, are, are very, all of them are bright and most of them are, you know, are, uh, pretty able communicators. I mean, they don't know, but you don't always disagree with them ideologically. But, uh, but those jobs are important jobs uh, for our country, and those relationships are important. Following up on Father's question, is the mission to the Holy See provide perhaps a, a different kind of conduit for the administration to use to maybe get an administration position or to use more back channels without revealing anything you know, sensitive. Is that a place that you can, we can do something a little different, say, than the ambassador to, at the United Nations or uh, to other countries who are in touch with their, their fellow diplomats? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, first of all, you got to remember these guys invented diplomacy. And, and so they, and, and, and we were fortunate to have Cardinal Perilene there in the, in, the, in the deal when we were there, but he's one of the smartest guys. But there's many things that could be said to them in an unofficial way or in an official way that was going to stay between us and them because they're very private. That's why you'll never see them given inter any interviews or anything because they're not political. And, and so we could say, you know, we've got this problem here and we need you to get the Pope to say this or that. And it's a lot better for the Pope to say it than for George Bush to say it. And they get that. So they go out there and do what we need done. Or they'd come to us and say, we've got this Monsignor on the western side of uh, Venezuela over in Valdivia, and, and they're hunting him down. Can you do anything? Well, we'd fly over it, get some pictures, and get some people to go help them out. We did a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a very vibrant relationship when the president wants to leverage it. Yeah, that, that's great. Uh, I remember one night I got a call really late at night. I mean, you know, was awakened by a call, and it was Andy Card returning a call that I'd put into him earlier in the day at the behest of the of the uh, foreign minister. It's not his official title, but that's what it is. It was then Archbishop Jean-Louis Tehran, uh, because the, the Russians had just uh, abducted another Polish priest on some phony charges, and uh, they uh, called me and asked if because the president was flying to Russia, if he could make a personal intervention to get that priest released. It was a very egregious case. I'd called Andy, and uh, he somehow didn't get around to calling me till really late, but I had the next day, they put it on the agenda, and they brought it up, and the guy was released. Uh, so, I mean, there's... The other thing that again, uh, is that I used to say I practiced, I was able to practice moral diplomacy because Ambassador Rooney made reference, you don't have to worry about military basing issues, status of forces agreements, current accounts, trade deficits. You can really focus on what I, what I, I thought were important constituencies of, of leading a life of dignity which is that you have freedom of religion and you're not, you don't have to fear being you know, trafficked or your daughter or son. Uh, you have enough to eat, which in Africa they do not. And uh, that's, I'm an Iowa farm boy, so I got very interested when I started reading diplomatic cables about how Jesuits in Zambia were opposed to using uh, genetically modified food technology to feed starving Zambians. In fact, they had two convoys of food they were taking out of the country, and these desperate people attacked it and tore the bags open to get out some of the, 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 the corn and the beans. And uh, that, that didn't make sense to me. So I, I really worked that issue with a lot of conferences and got myself educated. I was, I was, I was 
unsuccessful in my goal, which was to get the Holy Father to make a statement about the morality of using this technology in Africa to overcome these 25,000 deaths that occur there every day uh, by using this this food technology that is uh, that has turned India into being a food exporter and being a food importer in the United States, where every citizen consumes it every day, and and there is no showing of any deleterious effect. I didn't get the Pope to do that. I did get. Uh, the Pontifical Academy of Science, which is uh, called the the Pope's Truth Squad, since <laughs> Galileo, uh, <laughs> yeah, and they did they did a, a study of it and concluded that there is no showing of any deleterious effects of consuming genetically modified grown food. Still, a live controversy today in our country, maybe more live than it was then. Uh, but had I been successful, and I used to be right in their face and say that, you know, someone that dies of starvation is just as dead as someone who dies from an abortion. And you don't equivocate on abortion. How can you equivocate on, on food? Uh, but uh, the Europeans are hard over against it, and that was, that was a factor. Of when they have a lot of battles that have to be in. This is one they decided they didn't want to be in. And, uh, but I was in it. Yeah, you know, in Italy, you can use GMOs to grow the corn that the cows or the pigs eat to make the prosciutto ham, but you can't use GMOs to grow the corn and the people eat. Go figure. There's a lot of mythology well, it, now. That's where some of our states are heading in the same way on labeling. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. I think this has been both very informative and interesting. Thank you, Father. I just I want to mention one thing that you know, um, Secretary Nicholson was commenting about, you know, the whole thing of having miracles. Well, he actually uh, predicted the election of, uh, of Benedict uh, as a successor of John Paul that was going over in the airplane over for the funeral. There was an article in National Review, I think, a little earlier on this. And so he was asked, kind of pressed by, well, who's, who's it going to be? And, and uh, he said, well, I think it's going to be, you know, Joseph Rotzinger. And uh, the pushback was, well, German? Yeah, I think that's what, and then, well, that's, that was the prediction. So that, there's, there's a half a miracle. Well, you didn't finish the story, Father. He's talking about President Clinton on Air Force One. <laughs> he went to the back of the plane and started telling the press who the new pope was going to be. <laughs> got, but, not, but not mentioning his, his source of information. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, again, thanks so much for both of you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great to see you again.